Welcome again to Just Upstage of Downtown, the Music Mountain Theater podcast, direct from Lambertville, New Jersey. I'm Patrick Lavery. MMT patrons and performers look forward to two special events every year here that provide a window into the future. The first, just introduced in 2022, is a concert evening called By Popular Demand, in which the resident company and troupe members perform musical numbers from a handful of selected shows to preview what MMT calls its Fishbowl Fundraiser. Each spring, a group of eight to ten fishbowls appears in the Music Mountain Theater lobby, every one bearing the name and logo of a different musical. While taking in another production, generous ticket holders are invited to make monetary donations to the show or shows of their choosing, with lesser-earning ones eliminated a few at a time until a winner emerges. More on that in a moment. The By Popular Demand concert, originally scheduled to debut in 2020, but not premiering until last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, allows audiences to sample a few songs from each of the Fishbowl shows to make a more educated guess as to where their money is going. Fishbowl winners in the course of MMT's history to date have included Curtains, Into the Woods, last year's fifth anniversary gala production of Thoroughly Modern Millie, and On the Town, which won a spirited battle with Titanic last summer and will be seen at MMT this August. Speaking of summer, that's the time for the second special event, which has become a beloved addition to the Music Mountain schedule, Game Night, in which, through a series of audience participation contests, such as Hangman, Name That Tune, and a match game featuring characters from the current season, the next year's entire proposed season, including the Children's Theater series for young audiences, is announced along with the winner of the Fishbowl Fundraiser. Looking at the 2023 schedule, 16 main stage productions and 15 young audience shows are currently announced, which along with the Fishbowl runners-up make for nearly 40 plays and musicals, the likes of which MMT's co-artistic directors Louis Polina and Jordan Brennan must present to the public for consideration every year. Many of the children's theater choices are Lewis's original scripts and scores, but a handful annually are licensed by Disney, while a variety of companies license the adult shows. So many more than 40 shows a year have to be on the short list in case rights should be denied or rescinded. How does a season come together? Lewis and Jordan join me recently to tell you. I want to start with some information you give to the audience every year at game night, but which I'd like you to expand on a bit. Generally speaking, what shows do you put in for every year, almost every year, but get turned down? To name two I know you've discussed in the past, Les Miserables has been done by other companies in this area, but not to my knowledge by you. Mm -hmm. And this company did put up Chicago years ago, but not in this building. That's correct. Uh, we do always check in with Les Mis. It's currently restricted, so we haven't actually even been able to apply for it in quite some time. But you always check in, just to see, because you never know. And we did produce Chicago, I don't remember what the year was. I think it was 2012, maybe. We were still, yeah, we were still back in the park at that time. And we were very surprised when we got the email saying, you have been approved for the license for Chicago. Um, but we did, and it was very well received. And we have tried again. We always look at it every year. But again, it too, I believe, is restricted at, at the moment. Are there others that, not not annually, that get restricted to us? There's, you know, every year, there's a, a few shows that we apply for that we maybe don't think will get restricted or, or denied the rights for. And a lot of it has to do with, you're right on that border of proximity to New York City. Right? And Philadelphia, yes. Right. Yeah. Yes, so we are. Sometimes we're within the 50-mile radius that mm -hmm. certain companies or certain owners of, of certain shows uh, restrict. So beyond that, when you're looking at configuring a season, I think to many it must seem like a chicken and egg scenario. You always hopefully have new participants coming in. I was one of those just five years ago, but 
Obviously, you look at who has been here in seasons past and who you believe may be available, then try to balance musicals, plays, comedy, drama, shows heavy on dancers, shows that are more vocally challenging. Take me through your process of how you synthesize all these different concerns into something that seems coherent by the time we get to game night. That's exactly right, Patrick. All of those elements <laughs> are exactly right. Um, so our first full season back in 2018, you know, we opened in 2017, and that had been postponed from May to October, so we had only three productions in the, the later stages of 2017 after the building opened. We had produced in January of 2018 42nd Street, a huge, big Broadway-style musical, big dance, big songs, big costumes, big sets, everything, and... Uh, we realized um, during that process that over the holiday break is not the best time to rehearse a show of that scale. So for the 2019 season, we produced a smaller musical. Was it Nonsense the first time? This is where my brain stops, because we definitely did Nonsense in 2020. Oh, it was um, Shakespeare Bridge. It was Shakespeare Bridge. Ah, that's, that's exactly correct. right. Thanks, Patrick. Um, so yeah, in 2019, we did a three-person play, so that was, again, a lot easier to rehearse and produce over the holidays. Um, and then in 2020, we did Nonsense Amen. Uh, in 2021, we had a postponement because of COVID, um, but we started off with some small concerts. And then this past year, in, uh, uh, in 2023, we did A Misbehaving. Right. So uh, we, we did Noises Off. We did Noises Off in 2022. The idea is, again, starting off our season with a smaller mm -hmm. cast show, um, which kind of is the starting off point for picking our entire season. We want to start off with something exciting, but also on the smaller end. And smaller end means different things, I guess, sure. depending on the aspect of the production. Noises Off is not a small <laughs> production when it comes to the set, for example, yeah. but it is a small cast. Well, and at once you had the noises offset, um, I I said that that uh, that set over the course of 2022 was uh, well used. Yes. Let's let's yes. say that it definitely was well used. <laughs> um, but then, and Lewis, I think you and I were talking about this fairly recently. There's a consideration for in the summer you do try to do some of those bigger shows like Will Rogers, Crazy for You, uh, if only because. Uh, you get a lot of college kids back in town, and that it pumps up your ensemble, your dancers. Your... That's correct. We do, you know, our season is broken into three cycles. So we have the winter-spring cycle, which runs from January through April, beginning of May. Then we have the summer, which goes from end of May through August, beginning of September. And then the fall cycle so that summer cycle is where we get to utilize a lot of the college talent that comes home from wherever they may be going to school or is in a local college and doesn't go home right and stays in this area so we always try and and plan for shows that can highlight those kinds of actors specifically with this season's um spring awakening and then also uh gives opportunities for maybe you know someone who's in school for dance but doesn't really love to sing they can come and be in on the town and dance in the ensemble and get that experience and build up that resume but the rest of the year september through april or so we really rely on our company members and our 
ever-expanding pool of talent that is local to the area at all times. And you've also talked with the company members, because I remember in the annual meeting that we, we have, uh, there are hot and cold times not only for availability of performers, but for audiences. Mm -hmm. So our slower times tend to be after the holidays, January, February, uh, and then back to school time after the summer rush, mm -hmm. uh, when it is um, September into October. We generally get a bigger uptick in the fall around Halloween, if and when we do the Rocky Horror Show, which we uh, have done um, a bunch, but sometimes the rights do get restricted. Mm -hmm. And then into the holiday season, that's kind of a no-brainer. Everyone loves the holidays and family-friendly musicals. Um, and then in the summertime, that's when we tend to do, just like we talked about, a big dance show or, you know, the old-fashioned classics with a Rodgers and Hammerstein. We've done Oklahoma and Carousel uh, in the summer months. We tend to do a, a bigger style musicals that brings out the uh, the audience then. Sure. Something those new to MMT via listening to this podcast may not know is that, by and large, the productions you mount are run with pre-recorded backing tracks. There's no pit space here, past or below the lip of the stage. About once a season, this organization does do a show with a live band, but the cost of hiring musicians for two, three, even four weekends is often prohibitive. Still, when it can happen for shows like Godspell, Head Over Heels, or Ain't Misbehaving, the results are stunning for audience and performers alike. Now, Lewis, you and I talked recently about that being a major reason why MMT might not consider a certain show. The grand exception to the rule seemed to be the Will Rogers Follies, which all of us were in, and which was a personal favorite for all three of us, even before it was done here. That's an incredibly demanding show from all sides, particularly in its technical elements and choreography. And further complicating things, pre-made tracks are not available. Now, I don't think anyone here or who saw the production would argue it wasn't one of the most dazzling, moving pieces of theater that's ever been in this building, so it certainly was well worth it. But what else technically could discourage you from pursuing a certain show? And we're looking at you, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> um, there are those shows that have very specific requirements uh, you mentioned little shop of horrors you need that puppet there are three puppets the first two you can craft <laughs> uh -huh. the third one you could craft but it would take a a lot of work we did it in college so okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah it's possible yeah but you need that plan yep and it's the only show you ever need it for <laughs> so it's either a very large cost or it's a lot of time and effort and still a a good amount of cost for that one specific show which you know you're not going to do little shop of horrors every year and currently it's restricted anyway so um but you know there are those shows like that, that shows that you might need a, a fly system for perhaps mm -hmm. right so we've talked about a series of shows that we would do um when i won't say if when we can fly people mm -hmm. uh so that they would be peter pan mary poppins we would want to remount our production of The Wizard of Oz that we did annually at the Open Air Theater, but with the intention to be able to fly the witches or the house or any of those monkeys. those magical monkeys. Yeah. yeah, right. Those magical elements that happen within that show. Now, everyone who does theater, in a general sense, has their favorites, and everyone has shows that for them personally are a must to avoid. Now, you run a theater, and clearly you want to present as diverse a menu as possible. That includes, and you don't have to name them, shows you don't like as individuals, but you know the membership or the audience will like and, above all, make money. 
Personally, here's where I wish, despite a long-running Broadway revival about 10 years ago, how to succeed in business without really trying could be a more lucrative choice at the community theater level. Are there shows that stick out to you, not that you just don't like, but you don't think could be successful enough from a content or marketability standpoint? There's one I've heard you talk about frequently, which was actually a fishbowl show a couple of years back, if I remember correctly, with a particularly potty mouth title. Ah. Yes. So the musical You're in Town <laughs> is a favorite amongst us, but also yeah. I think amongst the theater community. Mm -hmm. It's not very widely done, I don't think, in the community theater mm -hmm circuit but we've wanted to do it for a while uh it doesn't have i don't think the the built-in audience base that you know oklahoma has mm -hmm. uh, or even little shop has it doesn't have that yeah. that recognizable title but okay. i do think we will we will produce it one day and <laughs> and we just have to find either the right time of year to produce it yeah. or the right kind of marketing strategy to go behind it yeah yeah there are, there are jokes within the text of the show about how do you market this right. with, the, with the title? <laughs> with the title, right, um, right, right. You know, so it definitely has a sense of humor about it. But yeah. the bottom line is, you got to sell tickets if you want to keep the doors <laughs> open. Yeah. There's also an idea uh, I want to discuss behind uh, the new audience, the the younger audience coming up and growing up and and wanting to see um, either more contemporary style shows or shows that they find kind of that cult. Um, genre behind such as carrie the musical which mm -hmm. we'll be producing this fall uh has a you know a, a horror musical kind of vibe to it based on the the movie mm -hmm. but is not as big a name as um sweeney todd let's say or even right. jekyll and hyde mm -hmm. but it still has this this small cult following yeah. that we're hoping we'll be able to draw some audience members into. But that's a risk for us, doing I think something of, like Carrie. Uh, I think of Heathers in that kind Correct. of vein as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, COVID was obviously tough on this company from every angle, and not least among that, something like 75% of your planned 2020 season was wiped out. Four right. productions ran as scheduled up to the last weekend of Into the Woods, and everything else was canceled with the exception of a holiday concert, which had to move virtual at the last minute, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. That is correct. Now, except for, I think, the last five years, which is two performers and a pianist, it wasn't until about the second half of 2021, when Head Over Heels went up, that anything that had been originally scheduled for 2020 made it to the MMT stage. So this next question is kind of in two parts. At the 2021 game night, you announced that the 2022 season would largely consist of productions you'd previously mounted either here or at the open-air theater. In this building specifically, I can think of The Producers, Godspell, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, Christmas Story, and of course A Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. which had already returned at the end of 2021. And you made no secret of the fact that part of the reason for that, much of the reason for that, was that you already had many of the costumes and set pieces in reserve, but also, as we've talked about, those and others were big crowd-pleasers that had sold well in previous seasons. Now, in addition, we also talked about Noises Off, which opened the 2022 season, which, uh, if I am remembering this correctly, was the last uh, to date of the rescheduled 2020 shows that began to pepper the schedule in the second half of 2021. So, the first part. Every licensing company operates differently, but all must have been pretty understanding to some extent about COVID. Yet, did you encounter any rights issues for shows you wanted to repeat, such as Gentleman's Guide, which, at the time you applied for the rights, pandemic included, you'd done here only about a year and a half prior. And second, by my count, the three musicals originally set for 2020 that haven't yet made it back on the schedule are Anything Goes, Legally Blonde, and Shrek. Now, since I believe you've done all these at some point in the past, 
I assume it hasn't been necessarily artistic choice not to put those shows up, but that you may have hit some snags with the rights, and could we see any of those on the MMT stage in 2024? It's definitely possible that those three shows make it back onto the schedule in our next season. Off the top of my head, I, I do think that Shrek, we, did, we got denied for the rights for that. Uh, we had intended to put that into the 2023 season. I know that we definitely applied for Anything Goes and Legally Blonde just to make sure that we could get right. them, but I don't remember off the top of my head if we got denied or decided to go in a different direction just because of the this sure. set of shows that were being chosen. Sure. You know, it's such a puzzle to put the season together that you want to try and balance. Like I mentioned earlier, there are three cycles. So you always want to try and balance like small cast show large cast show musicals and then slide a play in there somewhere and you don't want to you know back up two large cast shows or right. two shows that have a requirement for a lot of men mm -hmm. or because you know you really have to kind of look at the whole picture yeah. and switch around until it makes sense and so i think that's kind of what led us to not include Legally Blonde and or Anything Goes. You're not going to do Anything Goes and On the Town in the same season. It just right. doesn't make sense. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, with Legally Blonde, we have Spring Awakening. We have... Um, All Shook Up. All Shook Up. And, you know, Jordan mentioned Carrie earlier. Now, not that they're the same type of show as Legally Blonde in any stretch, mm -hmm. But they, they cater to kind of the same sort of performer and the same sort of audience. So it just becomes a, you know, a, a weighing of which one is going to fit better for this year. But we love Legally Blonde and yeah. Anything Goes, certainly. And we tried to get Shrek in there this year and we're sure, denied. Sure. I remember, I think you had told me, Lewis, that uh, way back in the beginning of 2021, I think, you were trying to get anything goes, but there was supposed to be a tour coming through mm -hmm. that I don't think ever materialized. Nope. Yeah. Did. No, I, I do think that is a correct memory. And, it, you know, it's crazy. They're just like everyone else. Tours were planning to go out mm -hmm. and then right. COVID's just still here. So <laughs> I remember when we were doing, I think when we were doing Nonsense, we were talking about the revival of Tommy that was supposed to come to Broadway, right. which yeah. I haven't heard anything nope. about. No, no. Um, which is another favorite of, of mine personally. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to bring this to a close by um, bringing up a conversation, uh, Jordan, that I had with you. I don't know if you remember this. During a one-on-one -on -one blocking session about a year and a half ago when I, we were doing The Mystery of Edwin Drood. And that was a show you'd done before at the mm -hmm. park. That wasn't on the 2020 schedule, but got inserted when you reconfigured everything for 2021. Mm -hmm. We've talked about kind of the adjustments that were made uh, in that respect. Now, I look back at that cast, and I see not only a stacked lineup of veterans here, but also, talking personally, numerous people who've become close, close friends of mine who I feel very passionately about. And Jordan, you said something to me to the effect of... We like to do shows we like with people we like, which is not to say that if either of you takes a back seat on a particular production, you don't like the show or the cast, but there are special ones for you. I know all three of us also feel something special about Godspell, and other than those, and, and counting out Christmas Carol, because being in that show here is a category of its own, <laughs> what do you feel like you could do here every season and never get tired of it? Obviously, it could be a different answer for both of you. I mean, selfishly speaking, as a performer, and I said this in the dressing room, 
I could do a gentleman's guide to love and murder every day for the rest of my life and never tire of it. Unfortunately, I'd probably have to switch roles at some point because my face isn't holding up as well as I'd like it to. Um, but there are those yeah. shows that are just, you know, you just love. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Edwin Drood, and that's another favorite of mine as an actor, yeah. certainly. Um, I love Spam a lot. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a good time. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. The audience loves it. We've been talking, uh, full disclosure, this is being recorded during the run of The Secret Garden, which mm-hmm. I, I think we have all... Uh, I certainly have grown to appreciate it. You had had done it before at the park about 10 years ago, um, and I think this run has kind of reinforced how everybody who has worked on it before felt about it then and continues to feel about it now. The Secret Garden is a really special show. It's sadly somewhat forgotten a lot of the time, although there's talk of a production, I think, in California that's hoping to make mm-hmm. its way to Broadway. Uh, which I think would be fantastic. It, it deserves another go. But I'm going to let Jordan talk about The Secret Garden because he has very special ties to it. I love it. I love the musical. I, I performed as Colin when I was uh, 11 years old mm-hmm. um, and fell in love with it then at the Bucks County Playhouse and, and Pocono Playhouse. And um, we got the opportunity to produce it, I think, in 2015 at the park. And it was beautiful outside. Uh, the the elements outside that mm-hmm. usually cause a little bit of grief um, when performing in an outdoor venue actually lent themselves to make it magical and beautiful and yeah. mysterious and the wind would blow and the ghosts would be dancing and it was it was beautiful so we tried to recreate that indoors <laughs> and I, I think we're we're somewhat successful I think the the element of uh, Chris Saishan's lighting design in the show really helped tell the story and we we hung some box fans off stage <laughs> to emulate the wind that we had naturally at the park. Um, but I do think it's a special show. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited that uh, Patrick and I were talking about it earlier. I, I love the fact that there are people, both young and not so young, that didn't know the show before and, and love it and are obsessed with the idea behind some of the characters and are obsessed with the, the musicality or yeah. the, you know, the, the visual aspect of it. And you brought up something that has got my gears turning, um, which is some of the shows that you did do at the park. I, I hear people talk a lot about, you know, being early in the fall on a cold, foggy night and doing Sweeney Todd mm-hmm. or Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and you felt like you were in London and uh, it was cold. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, those those elements couldn't be recreated here, but... Those are shows that you probably would like to do here eventually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think a general theory behind uh, Lewis, Ginny, and I's mindset with picking seasons is we would love the opportunity to give those shows that we did at the park a go indoors mm-hmm. with wings, with more of a set, more set changes. We we really did not downscale, but we 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 reconceived the sets at the park to either be a unit set or to be something that could be modular. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe we wouldn't have those restrictions indoors. Obviously lighting and sound are a huge change that, that this building brings. And I remember people talking about doing Little Mermaid here and uh, being on the Heelys on, you know, a flat deck mm-hmm. rather than, uh, you know, wood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, the park was great. And if it weren't for the years that we spent in the park, 
we wouldn't be where we are here today. It helped build our pool of actors. It helped build our pool of uh, patrons. There's no question that it was a very important part of what we did. But, you know, to our point of view, we can do so much more here and we can just tie the package up in a, in a prettier way here with the addition of the, the great lighting that we're able to do now. And we can spend more time on the set because it's not going to melt overnight because it's outside. It's not going to get warped because it's getting poured on all week when it rains. It, it's a lot of money to do what it takes to make a set. And we can spend more money now. My thanks to Lewis and Jordan for taking us behind the curtain on the construction of a Music Mountain Theater season. This year's By Popular Demand concert is on Sunday, April 16th at 7 p.m. at MMT, and keep an eye out for game night this summer. And whether you've been every year or want to come here for the first time, mark your calendars now for this company's 13th annual production of A Christmas Carol opening in late November. I'm Patrick Lavery, and you've been listening to Just Upstage of Downtown, the Music Mountain Theater podcast. To be continued.